Today I have a message for you from the Gospel of Mark chapter 16. And as you're opening up to Mark 16, I'd like to open with a poem, if that's okay. And maybe you can help me out a little bit in this poem. He is risen. On Christmas, Christ was born. God took on human form. He grew and knew the day would come. He died and many mourned. On Friday's cross, he paid the price for all our sins, the sacrifice, the painful promise manifests, love's pure display, then laid to rest. All hope had died at Calvary, all hope had died for you and me. But Sunday came, for life must live, and all our sins he will forgive. He rose and gave us heaven's view, and one day we will rise there too. That's what this day is all about, to celebrate, to sing, to shout, we're freed, we're freed, we're freed. God's great son has met our greatest need. Death's defeated, Christ has won. He is risen, he is risen indeed. Isn't it awesome? I mean, that's what I'm talking about, you guys, today. Not the, not the bunny, not the basket, not the candy, not the clothes, not the eggs, not the hunts. Don't get me wrong. It's okay to dress up, and it's okay to eat up, and have a lot of fun as you gather with family and friends, but whatever you do, don't be deceived. Don't be distracted. This day belongs to Jesus Christ. We're here to tell you today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of power. You know, it's cool to be in this place right here with you, because I know for a few years we haven't been able to meet up here uh, COVID hit us in 2020, chaos hit along the way. It's been tough and trying. Uh, last couple of years has been rough. The world is changing right before our eyes. I don't think we'll ever get back to normal. It seems the sun is setting. And if I were a betting man, I'd bet almost anything. The Lord is coming soon and very soon. We see so many signs of his return, but no one knows the day or hour what I want to encourage you to do today is to get ready for the return of Jesus Christ and then stay ready. Now, the world is changing, but we find perfect peace and security in the fact that God and his love and his word never change. And so today, as we study his word, I pray wherever you are that you'd open his heart. Some of you guys here, you're doing good. You're right on. You're right where you belong with Jesus Christ. Some of you here are hurting. Some of you are struggling. Some of you are distant. Some of you have walked away. Some of you, this whole thing is strange to you. You don't normally go to church, but understand this is not about a religion. This is about the creator, the maker, the maintainer. God himself loves you. And today you will receive a call from God. My encouragement for you today is to answer that call. Because not only does he have life for you when you die, he has life for you when you live. And this is why we're here. And so today as we go through our study, I want to share three things. Number one, the proof of the resurrection. Number two, the point of the resurrection. And then number three, the power of the resurrection. And so if you have your Bibles, notice what we read here in Mark chapter 16. We read the story of that morning. It says, now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene... Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. 
And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him, as he said to you. And so we look back to that first resurrection Sunday morning. The Sabbath had passed. These kind and courageous, lovely ladies were heading towards the tomb. They wanted to finish anointing the body of Christ to give him an honorable burial. But on the way, they wondered among themselves, who will roll away this two-ton stone from the door of the tomb? But when they arrived, they immediately discovered that would not be a problem. The rock had been rolled, and so they entered the tomb and heard the word from the angel not to be afraid. The angel knew that they were there looking for Jesus, but he wasn't there. The one who had died, the one who had been crucified, was now in his glorified body. The angel said, see the place where they laid him. Look again there at verse 7. He says, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. In essence, what the angel said is, come and see, come and see. This tomb is empty, and go and tell, go and tell. Go and tell the disciples and Peter that he is not here. And you're like, wait a minute, time out. Wasn't Peter a disciple? I mean, he was clearly a committed follower of Jesus Christ at one time, but now things were kind of up in the air for Peter. He had recently fallen. He hadn't heeded the warning of the Lord. He didn't pray the way he should have, and therefore he followed at a distance, and he warmed himself by the enemy's fire. He hung out with the wrong crowd, and you guys probably know the story. In the end, Peter, the one who at one time was a committed follower of Jesus Christ, denied the Lord over and over and over again. But God didn't hold it against him. And when the angel was sent, God told the angel, this is what I want you to say. Go and tell the disciples and Peter that he's not here, that he's risen from the dead, and he will meet with you. See, God didn't hold it against Peter, just like God doesn't hold it against us. God says to us, tell the disciples that he's risen from the dead, and Peter. And if I were you today, and if you find yourself, maybe you've drifted, maybe you've denied. Understand, God is here today because of his great love to call you to that place where you need to be in this right relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, Peter had said things like, I don't know him. I'm not part of that crowd. And then the rooster crowed, and he went away weeping bitterly. But God didn't hold it against him, just like God doesn't hold it against us today. And I wonder if there are any Peters here. Are there any, is there anyone here who maybe at one time you were a committed follower of Jesus Christ, but now there's a distance between you and him? You know, maybe it's been a while since you've been to church. Maybe you feel a little out of place. Maybe you've fallen. Maybe you've been following at a distance. Maybe you've been doing your own thing. 
Listen, I pray you'd see God's not holding it against you. On the contrary, he's holding out his hand. He's sending out a general message to his disciples, but he's sending out a personal message to you. I hope you know it's not the church or the religious or the pastor or even an angel who's calling you today. It is God himself. And God himself is saying to you, if you're a Peter here today, come and follow me. I'll fill the void. I'll break the chains. I'll heal your broken heart. I'll be the dad you never had. I'll be the love you've been looking for all your life. This is God. In him, you will find freedom. In him, you will find forgiveness. Does anyone here know how long that forgiveness will be? Forever. Forever. You see, this is what Easter really is all about. How do I know this to be true? Well, the resurrection, which is the capstone of Christianity, number one, we see the proof of the resurrection. And, and a few things, and we could stay all morning on this. Um, I was even thinking, because normally we have a 9 a.m. service and an 11 a.m. service, so normally when you put it all together, it's a three-hour service. And I thought, we should do that today, a three-hour service. What do you think? <laughs> And you guys are like, no, no way. I got plans today. Okay, we're going to try. But listen, uh, if you ever are interested in looking at the evidence for the resurrection, it is overwhelming. First, the proof of the resurrection. Number one, his body was never found, not his dead body anyways. Number two, there were over 500 witnesses and good ones at that who saw the risen Lord. And then number three, when you look at the dying death and breath of his disciples, all this proves to us. You can't sit here and tell me that there is no evidence that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. The evidence is overwhelming. You know, if you were to go to the tomb today, and some of us have actually gone to the tomb, there are no signs of any body decay. Scientists have scathed the tomb, and there are no signs of this which doesn't make any sense because if you think about it, why would a tomb be preserved from the time of Christ as a tomb but never, ever, ever used? The simple answer is the church preserved it because that was the tomb where Jesus was laid. The body of Christ was never found, not a dead body, that is. And that's a huge thing. How many of you guys here, have you ever seen 2020? I'm just curious. You guys have seen that, right? You know, or maybe one of those murder mystery shows where they've gone to great extent to find the missing body. We've all seen that. I remember reading about one murder investigation where in order to make a pivotal point in their testimony, the DA had to dig up a body that had already been buried. They needed to determine whether or not the victim's contact lenses were still in her eyes when she died. Apparently, this would then make a strong point that her husband had indeed murdered her. And so they dug up the body, and sad to say, the evidence proved that he did kill his wife. The primary point being this, if necessary, even if you have to go down to the grave to get a buried body, you will do so. You will find the body to prove your point. But the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they never found his dead body, even though they hated Christians, they hated everything they lived and died for. They never produced the body of Christ when that simple, tangible evidence would be all that would be necessary to debunk and to defeat the disciples and to kill Christianity. Instead, what they did was they fabricated a story that the disciples came and stole the body while they slept. 
What a silly story for many reasons. Number one, how would you know it was the disciples that stole the body if you were sleeping? <laughs> a couple of things about that. Number one, these were Roman soldiers. These were Roman soldiers who were guarding the tomb to make sure that didn't take place. That was their mission. That was their job. There was only one way in and out of the tomb. And so in order to steal the body, the disciples would have had to move a massive stone that weighed close to two tons. How could they do this while Roman soldiers stood guard? Number two, the disciples were fearful, if you read the story, for their lives. They thought their Lord had lost all of us here would have thought, my Lord lost when you saw him slaughtered on the cross. That was their mentality. They didn't believe in a dead Messiah. And so why would these fearful men suddenly risk their lives to steal a dead body? As a matter of fact, the night before when the temple guards arrested Jesus, the disciples eventually fled for their lives. But now these aren't just temple guards. These are Roman soldiers. These Roman soldiers were trained and armed and determined to do their jobs. And so if they were to guard a body, whether it be dead or alive, they would make sure that no one got to it. And so we see here, if there were any failure on their part, it would mean that they themselves would be executed. Something that actually happened in the Bible in the book of Acts chapter 12, verse 19. And so when we're looking today at the proof of the resurrection and the point of the resurrection and the power of the resurrection, we see, first of all, the proof of the resurrection. Number one, the absence of the body. Number two, it's a testimony of many witnesses. And if you have your Bible, I thought it'd be cool if we could turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And of course, when you're trying to get the evidence, the proof of the resurrection, the testimony of witnesses is huge. The more you have, the better. And here we read in 1 Corinthians 15, notice what it says here in verse 3, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve. After that, notice this, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. In other words, they were still alive when Paul wrote this letter, but some have fallen asleep, some have died. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then Paul says, last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. Now, as far as we know, no one actually saw the actual resurrection, but hundreds of people actually saw the resurrected Lord. And these witnesses, they weren't just followers and friends. These were uh, foes. These were family members who previously did not believe. Here we read of Paul, formerly known as Saul, the guy who was a big-time foe against the church, who made havoc against the church. He would be a guy barging into homes, dragging men and women away from their families, putting them in prison, and even putting them to death. So what we're seeing here, Paul is saying, listen, Christ is risen from the dead. There is no body, and there are many hundreds of witnesses. What could change a man like Saul? What could change us? 
I'll tell you what, I could have people stand in this auditorium today who could tell you that they have seen the risen Lord because we are witnesses of his resurrection. What could change them? What could change that guy who is an, al an alcoholic? What could change that man who was addicted to drugs? What could change that man who was violent and angry and running with the neighborhood and couldn't get out of the sin he was in? What could change such a person? And the answer is they've seen the risen Lord. Jesus appeared to us. Jesus appeared to them on the way to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. If I could just say this with you guys, because I want to keep you awake. He is risen. He is risen indeed. There's a great story about a fifth grader who was given an assignment by her teacher to write a one-page paper on her greatest living hero. She chose to write her paper on Jesus. The teacher, Mr. Thomas, returned the paper to the little girl and told her, I'm sorry, sweetheart, the person you write on must be alive. And the little girl replied, don't be sorry, Mr. Thomas, be happy. Now you know Jesus is alive. <laughs> I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but it's crazy. Every single year in the United States of America, there are thousands of individuals who just by a little error here and there, a little number that's maybe pushed in the wrong way, that our government deems as dead. Did you guys know that? Every single year, thousands. Some think that Jesus is dead. And what we find in the proof is overwhelming. He's alive. Number one, his dead body was never found. Number two, there are 500 witnesses plus. And then number three, the dying death and breath of his disciples. You know, if you think about it, a lot of it hinges on whether or not the apostles of Jesus really saw the risen Lord. You know, after Judas' betrayal of Jesus, there were 11 apostles left. And out of those 11, 10 of them were put to death over this very issue. James, the son of Zebedee, was killed by the sword in the book of Acts chapter 12. Peter died close to 30 years after the death of Christ, crucified upside down. By the way, four of them were crucified. Andrew was crucified in Greece. Philip was crucified in modern-day Turkey. Bartholomew, Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, was flayed. Think about this. He was flayed. He was skinned alive. And then he was crucified. Matthew was beaten in Ethiopia to death. Thomas was killed in India when he was thrust through with pine spears and tormented with red hot, red hot plates. And then he was burned to death. James Alphaeus was thrown down from the temple by the scribes and the Pharisees. He was then stoned and clubbed to death, as is the case with the other disciples. That history tells us that all they had to do to save their life was deny their belief in the risen Jesus. But they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he had truly risen, and therefore they were put to death. Simon the Zealot proclaimed the good news of Christ's resurrection in Egypt, Cyrene, Africa, Libya, Persia, but was eventually crucified in Syria, and Judas Thaddeus preaching the risen Christ to those in Mesopotamia in the midst of pagan priests was beaten to death with sticks. You can also include Paul in that list who was beheaded. You see it in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. You see, the martyr's death of the apostles is powerful proof for the validity and reality of the resurrection. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then why would they die? 
for something they knew to be a lie. You know, Adrian Rogers, he said this, hypocrites and martyrs are not made of the same stuff. People tell lies to get out of trouble, not to get into a trouble. A man may live for a lie, but no one would ever die for a lie that they knew was a lie. And these guys, they all went to their death with this truth in their hearts that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. They never found a body. There are over 500 witnesses, and the men who were closest to them, every single one of them, died with this truth to share. They not only died for that truth, they lived for that truth. See, guys, we are Christians, and we are saved, and we have this faith, and yes, it does take faith. You can't be a Christian just based on the intellect of your brain. Eventually, you're going to have to make a step. You're going to have to take a step forward. It has to be faith. We are saved by faith. It's something that is in our heart that says, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. It is faith, but understand this. It's faith that's founded on fact. If you're here today and you can't see, you have not yet seen the risen Christ, then you need to come forward. You need to give your life to Christ. You need to take that step of faith today, and God will show himself to you. See, we have this faith that's founded on fact. You know, something interesting, I know a lot of you are probably too young to remember the whole Watergate scandal. But there's a man named Charles Colson who writes about it. And this is what he said, because eventually, after going through that whole scandal, he became a Christian. And this is what he said. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? He said, because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, killed, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it were not true. This is what he said. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they could not keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Now, some people, they think, well, I'm too smart to be a Christian. I think it's the other way around. I really do. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I mean, you look at the order of the universe, and you're going to tell me when you look at a baby being born, when you look at the love between a husband and wife and the way that God has blessed them with children, you're going to tell me that that's an accident? It takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a theist, and it does to be a Christian. We believe in God, and yet God has showed himself exclusively in Jesus Christ. Because who else conquered the coffin, gutted the grave, defeated death? None, only Christ. You know, there are many intellectuals throughout the ages who have they've been challenged, really, to examine the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ because really everything hinges on that point. And in the process, they became Christians. People like Simon Greenleaf, who was a dean of law at Harvard University, and his students challenged him 
to examine the evidence for the resurrection. And in the, in the process, the atheist became an advocate for Christianity. C.S. Lewis, author, lecturer, professor at both Oxford and Cambridge University, at the age of 17, he was an atheist. And Lewis wrote to his friend, Arthur Greaves, he said these words, and when he was 17, I believe in no religion, there is absolutely no proof for any of them, and from a philosophical standpoint, he said Christianity is not the best. But 15 years later, after examining the evidence for the resurrection, after spending time with a man who loved the Lord, Lewis wrote to that same friend, Christianity is God expressing himself through what we call for real things, namely the incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection. Frank Morrison was a skeptic. He wrote the book, Who Moved the Stone? That was a book that was instrumental in leading someone like Josh McDowell, another man who was an agnostic, well-known as an articulate speaker, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. He's the one that wrote the book, um, the, uh, More Than a Carpenter, a book that sold over 46 million copies. These are all men who were atheists or agnostics. Lee Strobel was a writer for the Chicago Tribune, an atheist. He examined the evidence, and in the process, he wrote the book, The Case for Christ, and again has become a Christian. You see, one thing's for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there is overwhelming proof for the resurrection. And so you're like, okay, then Jesus rose from the dead. Well, what, what does that mean? So what? What's, that leads us to, to the next item, the, the point of the resurrection. And the point of the resurrection is rather simple. It's a solid point. Here's my encouragement to you. Follow the leader who lives. It's a very simple point. The one who defeated death, conquered the coffin, gutted the grave. Again, not to disrespect anyone, but you can travel to the city of Medina today and visit the tomb of Muhammad, the green dome built directly above his body. He died and stayed dead. Buddha's body was cremated, but if you go to Sri Lanka, you can visit his right tooth. Apparently, when Buddha passed away in 543 BC, his body was burned, but his left tooth was retrieved from the fire. Kima, this individual who was his disciple, he gave it to the king for veneration, and it became a royal possession, so much so that they actually fought wars over his tooth. And so if you want, you can visit the grave of Muhammad. His body's still there. Buddha's tooth is still over there. The grave of Confucius is there in his hometown of Khufu within the Shandong province of China. And we could go on and on to every single other religious leader in the history of the world. Even someone like, um, I was thinking of Scientology, founded by L. Ron Hubbard. He died, was cremated, and they scattered his ashes in the Pacific Ocean. Don't tell Tom Cruise or whoever it is, Ann Archer or John Travolta or all these actors. I mean, the, 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 the proof of the resurrection is overwhelming. And it naturally leads us to the point of the resurrection. Follow the leader who lives. Follow the leader who loves. You know, the one who gave us this victory. God said, this is my sign. This is my signature. In case you're wondering, 
You might want to turn to John chapter 2 if you guys have your Bibles. And I just want to read this to you because God said this will be the sign that I'm the one. In John chapter 2 and verse 18, the Jews answered and they said to Jesus, What sign do you show us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. You know, there in John chapter 2, Jesus was cleaning house because they were in the temple charging people exorbitant amounts of money to exchange their you know, currency or to offer sacrifices. And Jesus saw that what they were doing in the church was not right. And so he went in there and he drove them out. And so they questioned Jesus and they said, what sign do you give to us to show us that you have the authority to do this? And Jesus said, this is the sign that I'll give you. Destroy this body, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up from the dead. And they thought he was speaking of the temple that Herod had built, had, had added to, and took 46 years. And Jesus said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the temple of my body. I will prove this. This is a sign to the entire world that what I'm saying is true, that who I am is true. And Jesus went on to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. You know, I read a true story about a missionary who wanted to teach a group of people the significance of the resurrection. And so he said to them, suppose I'm traveling and I've reached a place where the road branches off in many different directions. I don't know which way to go, and so I look for a guide. And I find two men with guard and guide badges on. One's dead and the other's alive. Question, which one will I follow? Which one do I ask for directions as I branch this road? And of course, the answer is the living. And that's the case in the travels of this life, and that's the case in the travels of all of life. Follow the one who's alive. This is the point of the resurrection. This is a sign to civilization. Not as if, you know, what Jesus hadn't already done wasn't enough. I mean, he had healed the blind, the lame, the leper, the mute, the deaf. He fed the thousands. He walked on water. He stilled the storms. Not as if that wasn't enough. Speaking the greatest words ever spoken, doing the greatest wonders ever done. Here we have the sign of all signs and that he rose from the dead. We read his words in Revelation 1 in verse 18 where Jesus said, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. I don't know what you have planned for today. How many of you guys are getting together with your family with some good food? I'm just curious. Any Easter egg hunts? And you guys are going to do that with the kids, probably. It's okay. Still love you. I mean, <laughs> some people will say, oh, well, you can't do that. That's bad. It's not bad unless you forget this. This is our, dis our, our, our focus. It's not about the bunny or the, the basket. It's okay to dress up a little bit. Even I got a fancy jacket for today, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> but it's only because there's something special about this day. Yes, you will go on. Who knows what you're going to do? Maybe you're going to watch basketball. Maybe you're going to take a nap. 
You know, praise God that we get to get together with our families and we have fun in the park, whatever it might be. But right here, right now, this place, this moment, the decisions that need to be made today, this is where it's at. This is what it's about. Because some of you are dying inside. Some of you are struggling in your walk. And as we look at the message, three things. Number one, you know, the proof of the resurrection leads to the point of the resurrection. Because he truly has risen, then it naturally follows that we would follow him. But the third thing that we see that's so important for us to embrace today is the power of the resurrection. Because not only does God want you to live when you die, but he wants you to live with whatever time you have left. You know, I think the first two points have more to do with the mind and the intellect, and it's a great place to start, but eventually it's got to reach the heart. What good would it be if you came to church and you left the same way you came? What good would it be for you to go back to the bottle, go back to the drugs, go back to the pornography, go back to the emptiness, go back to a life without God? What good would it be? No, we need the power of God. Some people say, well, it's just because I can't do it. Well, it's because we've been functioning on our own strength. I believe with all my heart that God has great things for you. I believe with all my heart that God wants to use your life to change the world. I believe with all my heart that God wants to move mountains in your life. That he wants you, in one sense, to walk on water, to walk miraculously, to walk supernaturally, to walk above the devil and his demons and all the storms he throws our way. We can't do this on our own strength, though. We need the power of the resurrection. Now, Paul the Apostle, he wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Listen, this day isn't just about studying Jesus' resurrection. It's about securing your own, your own resurrection, your own home in heaven. And I think I've told you guys before about that Sunday school class where the teacher asked the third graders what they thought Jesus' first words were after he rose from the dead. And a little girl raised her hand and she said, I know, I know. And so the teacher called on her and she said, what were Jesus' first words after he rose from the dead? And she said, ta-da. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it was, I don't think so. But listen, I just wanna make sure that we don't see it as just like a, a performance that has nothing to do with me no, it was a demonstration of his power that he wants to give to you, to me, today. The power to heal your broken heart. The power to soften your hardened heart. The power maybe to mend your marriage or restore relationships, to put your life back together, maybe because you, you, you came today and you feel like it's falling apart. The power to break any addiction. Listen, I talk to people all the time, so much drugs, so much drinking, so much chaos, and they can't stop. The first step must be us giving our life to Jesus Christ. 
know, Paul the Apostle, he wrote in Romans 6, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. You know, life as a Christian, it begins with faith in Christ. He died for you. He bore all our sins. He suffered the punishment that we deserve. He was put in a grave and he rose again. Do you believe that? Not just here, but here. Has it impacted your life? And then you choose to follow him. And so when we become a Christian, Jesus didn't say, well, this is going to be easy and nice, cozy, comfortable religion. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, when we identify with Christ, we die. But not, we, we don't stay dead. Then we rise with the power of the resurrection. Listen, that's what this day is all about. Ultimately, and most important of all, not only does this day provide the power to live life, he provides the power that we'll need at the end of life. The power of the resurrection lifts us up when our race is done, when our time is gone on planet Earth, the power of the resurrection lifts us all the way up to heaven. You know, I thought about it when I was, this, this morning, I was like, man, Lord, you know, a lot's happened in the last couple of years. Many people have passed. Some from COVID. Some from other things. We don't know how much time we have. We don't know. So we need to make that decision. Are you really ready to die? The power that God provides is a power to help us, not just when life gets tough, but when life ends. Are you sure? Are you playing church? You have to make that decision in your heart to be a true committed follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks, do you believe this? I think he would ask us that today. The Bible says, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. The second death is the everlasting suffering and separation from God. It's the actually just sentence for sins. You don't want to experience that. You don't want to make, you don't, you don't want to make, you don't want to stand before God in your own righteousness because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. We want to make sure when we die, we're going to heaven. I've told you guys many times about that, that, that tombstone it says this, it says on the tombstone, pause, stranger, pause, stranger, when you pass me by. For as you are, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. Prepare for death and follow me. One man read those words, he pondered them deeply, and then he bent down and he etched further on the tombstone. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. 
Which way will you go? It's up to you. The Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verse 19, choose life. Choose life. I'll never forget the day that God touched me and allowed me to choose life. And he came into my heart and he set me free. You know, prior to that, I would read my Bible, but it didn't really register. Prior to that, I, I would go to church, but I didn't really have a relationship with God. I thought I did, and I was always open. I was always, you know, receptive. But deep, deep down in my heart, I knew there was something missing. And then one day, there was an opportunity, and there was an altar call. And I went forward. And God came into my life. Go tell his disciples. And Peter. It's a message, yes, it's general, but it's a message that's very, very personal. Are you that Peter? Are you that one that God singles out? You know, you used to be a disciple, but now maybe you've drifted or you've been distant from God and God's calling you back, or maybe it's something that really, you know, it, it's never been a part of your life, but I mean, you got to know there's a God, and you got to know that this God loves you, and you got to know that this God is interested in a personal relationship with you. And so today, you need to make that choice. Put your name there. Go tell the disciples, and put your name there. If you're wondering, if you're hurting, if you're struggling, if in any way, you're not yet a disciple with the power of the resurrection present to help you live life now and forever. And I pray today you would give your life to him. I know one thing for sure. The devil will do everything he can to keep you down, stuck in your seat. But I pray that today you would respond to God's call to follow him because there is the, the proof of the resurrection beyond a shadow of a doubt. It points us to follow him. But you have to make a decision. And when you do, when you say, yes, Jesus, it's such a beautiful thing. It really is. You will experience God's personal power. So church, isn't it an awesome day? I mean, I'm, I tend to be a pretty mellow fellow. I tend to be chill and, and, and stuff, you know. But man, I just want to jump up and down. It's just the day of victory. Isn't it awesome?